In today's episode, we talk about conflict and staying above the fray with the founder and host of Coaching for Leaders, Dave Stahoviak. I think the the invitation for me and for all of us is, um, are we doing a good enough job of espousing the nobler motive? So when we, we're in the middle of a tough situation, can we walk into that conversation or situation and say, hey, I know this is what we all want out of this. Framing the nobler motive first, then getting into the tactics and the stuff you want to draw. But that way you get, you create an environment where like, we're all in this together. We're on the same team. We're all, we all have this outcome that we want. Now let's frame what are we going to do in order to get there? And if you come into a conversation with that nobler motive, what a great place to begin and so much easier than if you just come in of who's angry at who. Hey, welcome to The Dose, a show dedicated to deep and engaging conversations, highlighting individuals that are in the pursuit of authentic and courageous leadership who approach life with insatiable curiosity, bold action, and common sense in these divisive and uncommon times. It's my hope you take something away from each and every one of these conversations and apply it to your own life as we all intentionally attempt to become the best we can possibly be by living out our purpose and calling, committing to a life of service, and helping make this place better than we found it. I love this episode. I love having Dave Stahoviak back on the show. He's been a good friend. He's a fellow podcaster, fellow leadership junkie. He's the founder and host of an outstanding podcast, Coaching for Leaders. This needs to be in your leadership arsenal. One of my favorite podcasts. He does such an excellent job. I've learned so much about podcasting, having great conversations. To me, I think he's the epitome of leadership podcasts. And so in addition to Dose of Leadership, make sure you have this in your arsenal. He's got more than 15 years of leadership experience at Dale Carnegie and a thriving global leadership academy as well. He helps leaders discover practical wisdom, build meaningful relationships, and create movement for genuine results. Today, we're going to talk about conflict. We wanted to, you know, we were talking offline before we said, hey, we need to record another conversation. And he said, what do you want to talk about? And I said, you know what? The thing at the top of mind is like, how do we have these difficult conversations? I'm trying to move the show this way. I'm trying to bring guests on that I don't necessarily agree with. So how do we have these conversations? And as Dave puts it, how do we stay at elevation? How do we stay above the fray? Some great principles that we talk about here, you know, the root of most conflict, the best way to win an argument, how to avoid unnecessary conflict, you know, how to not get caught up in the stuff in the first place. Look, nobody is immune. We're all going to get sucked into the drama at some point. So how do we stay out of it? But what happens when we get in it? And how do we appeal to the nobler motive, which is my favorite part of the conversation? A lot of tactics in here that Dave provides us. He always delivers outstanding advice. You're really going to love this conversation. Just two guys talking leadership, talking how to avoid conflict here in The Dose. So let's get on with it with the founder and host of Coaching for Leaders, Dave Stahoviak. You know, we were talking... Um, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, and we were kind of thinking, hey, let's 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 get together again and talk. And you know, one of the things that I'm you know, coming on the heels of this kind of pandemic or the thing that's really been kind of gnawing at me is this inability to 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 engage. And I think you and I have been doing this podcasting game for quite a while now, and we see the value. Yes. I mean, I don't know. I'm 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 approaching five hundred and thirty some episodes, and that's a lot of talking. And I try to bring people onto the show, and I think I know. Well, I know I've gotten better at having the ability to. There's, there's been times where I've had people on there that I diametrically opposed on certain things, but we have these great conversations, and I just I want to get yeah. back to that. Right? Do you have that same experience with you? I mean, certainly you've had people on your show that you maybe didn't agree with, right? But do you, oh, sure, yeah. oh, sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've, I've really. In, in some ways, I have done a good job at this, and in some ways, I'm still very much learning. 
Um, but I have one thing I have tried to be real intentional about since the beginning of starting the podcast was having guests on who had uh, came from a different belief system than I did. Yes. So both par- partially that's a leadership thing, but also partially it's a walk of life thing. And people who were from different, even though we don't talk about faith and politics and news of the day on the sh- on our show, um, I would really and still do am very intentional about looking out to find people who have different belief systems than I do and uh, and come from different backgrounds than I do, because I think that that is like the richness of of leadership and knowledge of being able to learn from people who are different from us. And where I have failed on that over the years, Richard, is not doing a good enough job on the diversity part of having um, especially folks of color on the show early on. That was a absolute blind spot for me and uh, and something I had to wrestle with and recognize the own racism that I had, you know, been exposed to in my life and that still inherit and trying to work through that. That piece I didn't do a good job with early on. But I really have always tried to find people who um, think differently than I do because I think that that makes a much richer conversation. And so that's been very intentional from the beginning. Well, you look at all the great leaders in history, and I go back to the most famous one is is the intentionality behind Abraham Lincoln and his cabinet, right? I mean, that's the, the famous that he intentionally brought people on that some vehemently disliked him, but he wanted to be around yes. that because he, he had this idea that, or he had the, the foresight and the, the kind of humble, teachable spirit to realize that within this conflict— you know we're gonna we're gonna come up with the right solution, right? It's and uh, maybe you've heard me talk about this before too, but this kind of concept that I got from being in the Marine Corps and flying planes, where it's not your right to challenge, it's your obligation. That just was in, yes. inherent in in when I do things, and so that's why I go crazy when I get on social media and kind of everybody start planting flags and and I gotta admit that's probably not where I'm so so good at because it's easy to to me when I was talking to you a couple of weeks ago and I said. You know, I can go down that rabbit hole pretty easy and plant a flag and try to prove myself right, right? And that's certainly not a leadership sure. move, right? That is not a leadership sure. move. Sure, yeah. But it's like cotton candy. It feels good at the moment, right? It's like cotton candy or something superficial. It feels good in the moment, but boy, you sure feel gross after it's, over, after it's done. And that's kind of like what Twitter is to me, right? Like Twitter is the ultimate in that kind of superficiality, cotton candy, planting flags. You know, where do you think that comes from? You know, why, why do you think... I got my theory on it, but why do you think people are so attracted to that of wanting to prove themselves right, do you think? Hmm. I'm sure there's some really interesting psychology behind that that's way more um it's way more interesting than just kind of my own personal experience with it, but um it it is just human nature that we do tend to we are attracted to drama. Mm-hmm. and to what's happening in the moment and to jumping on things. And social media is a really great example. Well, well maybe not a, a great example, but a, certainly a powerful example of the these platforms that many of us use are tuned to keep us on them. Yeah. These companies make money, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, you know, pick whichever one you want. They're all a little different, of course, but uh, the goal is to keep attention there on the platform. And the way you do that uh, is by 
getting people into situations and conversations where they see really polarizing comments and 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 fanning conflict a bit. Uh, and I think all of us have experienced that. And there's, and I think the other thing, and probably is a bit of a theme maybe for this conversation, Richard, is we are all absolutely capable of falling into that. Absolutely, yeah. And and that is, I mean, we all have our different settings and defaults, of course, but it is human nature for us to, when there is like conflict going on, to um, get caught up in it. I love the analogy that Amanda Ripley uses in her book, High Conflict, of a something that's here in Southern California called the La Brea Tar Pits right. in, in Los Angeles, of this huge, I mean, in the middle of the city, there's this huge uh, geological feature of this tar pit. And in prehistoric times, animals would get caught in there and they, you know, they they try to get out and they make a ton of noise. And then other animals would get attracted to them and try to eat them. And then they'd get caught in there. And they've pulled so many thousands of fossils out of this over the years. This, this tarp in the middle of downtown Los Angeles. And there's a beautiful museum there. And it's just a it's an analogy for like when we see that kind of drama happening, it's so easy for us to just jump in and pile in and to get caught up in the tar pit. And we're all capable of that. And so part of this, part of what I think this conversation is about for me is thinking about how do we recognize that mm -hmm. before we jump into the tar pit, but also like what are some things we can do to stay at elevation and maybe avoid jumping in in the first place? And that I have gotten a little better at over yeah. the years um, of, of being able to do that in a way that... Um, where I'm, I'm more likely today than I was certainly five or 10 years ago to engage in conflict that's meaningful and that's productive than just getting caught up in the drama of things. Yeah. You said some really great things there that I wanted to, to highlight that, you know, and I agree with you that I think that is, I think that's how we're wired as human beings, you know, biologically, you can go back that we're, 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 we're wired to react. And I'm sure that's based on some sort of survival if we had a biologist on the show, they would say, oh, yeah, you know, you know, that's where we came from. We were are wired to react to situations, probably for survival. Yeah. But as we get into these, you know, in the real world that we're dealing with, you know, there's not a saber-toothed tiger around the corner. But it's the same physical feelings if you came barging into my office, you know, yelling at me, calling me names, telling me that how could I be so stupid or whatever. You know, those same feelings of fight or flight come into play. And yes. we're all faced with that. And the leadership, can where you, I think you're going with this, is the, that's where, to me, where the leadership piece comes into play. Because nobody can take away your power to choose how to react to that, right? As, as difficult as it may seem as you come into my office ranting and raving, telling me how stupid I am. If you can, no, nobody can take that away from me. I can 100% choose how to react to that situation. And that, to me, is the importance of studying leadership, I think. You know, what do you think when you hear that? Oh, it's, it's I think, one of the key competencies for leaders to be able to look at the bigger picture. I mean, leadership is so much about always, change and vision for the future. Yeah, always fight if for the we, bigger picture, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we react, which is what it is, a reaction to every single situation, conflict, 
dramatic moment that comes up in any given day or week, we would never have the time and attention to put where we really need to go. And so uh, there's a lot of tactical things that we can do to get better at that. Um, but at but at a principled level, a big picture level, the the work of leadership is to stay at elevation and altitude. Yeah. And to really help to frame the big picture and why are we in this? What is the nobler motive about where we're going? And if the leader doesn't do that, nobody else will. Yeah, that is right. I love what you're saying. That's that is the ultimate call of leadership. To have this kind of outcome-based mindset is what I'm hearing you say. Cause that is the reset. I'm just thinking back to the times when I've kind of adopted this. And I, like you, feel like just as I'm 53 in the last seven to eight years and plus having these conversations on the show, I've gotten a little better at it. But having the ability to, when those stressful reactionary moments are presented, if you can focus, okay, what am I trying to accomplish here? Just asking that question is the pause, right? I call it the leadership pause. That is the leadership move, right? And that's, and that's what I want everybody to be excited about because the moment you do that, you instantaneously put yourself in a leadership position. Now, you may instantaneously get out of it based on your next move, but if you can, yeah. if, if you can pause at that moment, what I'm hearing you say is like, man, that's, that's the leadership move to me. Is yeah, that- and when those moments happen to me, where, and I don't run into this as much as I used to because of the nature of my work now, but when someone, a team member, a colleague, a customer would come at me with something very unexpected or maybe even anger or frustration, um, whatever the situation was, one of the things that I found was really helpful for me over the years is to, that pause you mentioned, and then to start by being curious and asking questions. Yeah. Especially when something came that was very unexpected, like really blindsided me. Uh, I, I've learned to hit the pause button and then ask a few questions and find out like, oh, you know, like let's like a, I want to find out where this is coming from, like what happened, what's what's going on that led up to this. And it's interesting how often, not always, but often, like just asking a couple of questions slow someone down, anger starts to dissipate a little bit, and you can have a much more productive conversation then about not only whatever's going on in the moment, but then I think it also, for me, helps me to like then step back and get a little elevation of like, okay, what's the importance of this conversation in the, in the bigger picture as well? Yeah, the power of asking great questions. I mean, that, that is the leadership move. It's, it's, Having the ability to take the pause, be calm, and then ask the great questions, like you said. What what are some? Do you have any go tos? Like what are you, what are some of your great questions that like you find yourself in that moment? You find the reaction. You know, you're trying to pull yourself out of that kind of drama scenario and get yourself in kind of creative leadership space. Do you have any go tos? Like questions? Like if I came to you and I'm like, you know, ranting and raving about this person who just did me wrong, and I can't believe this, and I'm like. I'm screwing myself into the ceiling, you know, what, what would you say to me? How, how would you, how would you calm me down? Hmm. There's a three-step framework that my friend Susan Gerke uses called the aim frame, which is intended to start to resolve conflict. And the questions are really simple. The first one is what happened? And having the person articulate what happened. 
not who's at fault, not what did the other person do, just a just a more general what happened question. And then once you have a sense of the what happened, then, uh, okay, secondly, what's the goal? And this comes back to the bigger picture. Yeah, get them in that outcome-based mindset again, right? Get them exactly. to start thinking like a leader, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So what happened? Let me hear you and be present in this moment about what's what went on that is causing you frustration, challenge, anger, whatever the situation is. Um especially if it's something with with me personally. Right. But mm-hmm. even if it isn't, I want to understand like at least from their perspective like what's going on. And then the the what's the goal here? That's where from a leadership standpoint, I want to once I feel like I understand enough about the context of the situation and I feel like that person's been heard a bit and and I've been present with them. I do also want to start to pivot that conversation to like, okay, let's get back to the big picture. Like what's the next step forward on this? And so the what's the goal often helps them to get out of the moment, go to elevation a little bit and say, all right, like given what just happened here, whatever it is, what do I want to have as being the outcome? Mm-hmm. And I find that saying that out loud, like we all sort of know that and intuitively, right. but when we forget it, when we're in the moment of anger or frustration or conflict, because our emotions take us over all of us, me too. Mm-hmm. And so having someone else ask like, what's the goal here? What, it, what are we trying to do at this point? I find that that's helpful to, Again, help the person to pause a bit and think about it a little bit objectively from the big picture and think like, okay, you know, I've had this tough customer situation happen, um, but I I recognize that the goal is I need to like make sure the customers, you know, this situation's resolved and that everyone's happy or whatever the case may be, right? Um, So that's step two is pivoting the conversation by asking that the bigger picture question. And then step three is, well, what are a few options you have? Yeah. to take the next step. And this is also really helpful, Richard, if there's two people that are in conflict together and maybe I am the media. as leader, facilitator, whatever, I'm involved in this conversation. Um, you know, what are the, you know, we know we've espoused the goal of what we want to accomplish. Now, what are some suggestions that we can think about that are going to actually help us to move forward and take the next step. And it's exploring a few options and then ultimately getting some agreement about what's that next step we're going to take. Yeah. I love all of that. You know, asking these open-ended questions. And again, you and I have both coached people. I've learned that from coaching, right? As you know, I think as an amateur coach going in there, feeling like I got to solve this person's problem. And I'm like, no, I got to ask these questions and extract it out of them. (laughs) Right. And you do that by asking these open-ended questions. I think, to add to that, some open-ended questions maybe to avoid, particularly in those heated situations, um, you know, asking them, what were you thinking or how could you be so, how could you miss this? You know, those type of kind of judgment type of open-ended questions. Those are the things, I mean, it's subtle, but it's very powerful to avoid those, right? Like when someone does, makes yeah. a huge mistake and you go, what were you thinking? Uh, wrong move, right? You know, yeah. just, just say, what happened? Or how, how did this, how did this happen? Or how did you get to this point? You know, what, yeah. what made yeah, you go indeed, down that yeah. path? What, what were you thinking? What do we do now? You know, instead of like, cause all they'll hear is I'm an idiot or this person's judging me. Yes. Yes, indeed. And that's the power of, I think, keeping some of these simple, like a question, like what happened? Yeah. 
is really, um, I mean, no question is perfectly objective, but it's but it's a lot more objective to allow the person to say whatever they need to say versus like, well, what did you do wrong? Right. Or where did right. you mix it? Like then then you're you're biasing whatever they're going to say of like, what do I think my manager wants to hear right now? Yeah. Which may or may not really be what needs to be discussed. And so I think framing it in such a way where it's a what happened or tell me more or how so and just trying to understand the situation um, gives the person a chance to go a bunch of potentially different directions that then you hear about like, oh, I thought coming into this situation, they were angry at the customer. And I find out now that I've asked what happened, this isn't a conversation about the customer at all. This is them. They're upset at me. Right. Or they're upset at a colleague or or there's a personal situation going on. And this is kind of like, you know, maybe not really what's happening, but keeping it open ended really um, helps that to emerge when it needs to. Absolutely. How do we. How do you as a leader, because I, I know for me in the beginning, and I even talk about relationship early on in my marriage and this thing that was kind of a, a growth point for us as a marriage, but also me as, as a young and up and coming leader in the corporate America and everything else, I was so apt, I think early on to try, want to solve it. I was quick to judge as we're talking about judgment here. I was quick to the first thing that came out of their mouth and I'm like, oh, I know what this is. You know what I mean? And I, and I, and I, I got yeah. a solution and man, that bit me in the butt so many times <laughs> until I started peeling the layers of the onion back with these questions. Well, tell me more. What do you mean? And you almost invariably nine times out of 10, if not more, what they come in and they're complaining about that's there's, there's something there. Any, and I always kind of say any kind of dysfunctional behavior that comes out of myself or I've, ex I've witnessed from other people, there's always something deeper there than what's on the, on the surface. But how my, my original question is, how do you, as a leader, fight that urge to maybe judge? I think judgment's the right word I'm looking for, or, or at least, you know, jump to a conclusion right, right away, which is judgment, I guess, right? If you're jumping to a conclusion right away, you're judging the situation or maybe the, the motives, yeah. right? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, oh, it's so hard, Richard. Oh, my gosh. This is like one of the hardest things because the many of us who get into leadership roles in our organizations often got there because we were the best person and the best performer at the prior role. Yeah, and you're a problem on the solver, team. Right? Usually you're a problem. Yes. Solver. Yeah. And we're really good at it. And we learned how to do that. We were the top person on whatever team previously and the manager or we got promoted or whatever. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves in a situation where um, people are coming to us asking for advice and input. And we often, not always, but often know the work really well and have really good advice. <laughs> right. And and it is a really bad combination because all of a sudden, you spend time just giving advice, what Michael Bungay-Stanier calls the advice monster, right? Like, we fall in this trap. And... Uh, it, it, there's two things that I find that have been helpful as far as breaking that chain a bit. One of them is a big picture of recognizing that it's not the job of the leader typically to do the work anymore. Yeah. So you may go to the same place, you may wear the same uniform, you may, um, you know, have lunch the same way each day. But the the role of being a manager, a leader, 
is a different role than being an individual contributor. It is often not the, being the point person who does the work. It's not being the person who's the subject matter expert. It is now being the person who holds the vision and is the coach and the mentor for the other folks in the organization to do the work each day. And that is a big shift. Yeah, for sure. Of mental energy and of placement of like, what am I actually showing up? What kind of work am I showing up to do? So it's helpful, I think, to just be conscious of making that mindset shift of like, oh, I'm not, this is not the same job anymore at all. My job first and foremost is to lead the team to where they need to go, to set the vision, to help be a coach, to be a mentor, to help develop the team's skills. That's really the work of leadership in most organizations. Yes. And so the mindset shift is key there first. And then secondly, on a practical level, this is where the coaching questions you mentioned a bit ago of just being more coach-like is helpful of when someone comes asking for advice, of us being able to stop and to take a moment and say, well, um, what do you think is, what are some suggestions you have for how you might approach this? And um, I mentioned Michael Bungay-Stanier a minute ago, the author of The Coaching Habit and The Advice Trap and a bunch of other great books. Uh, he has a little trick that I like on this that's been helpful to me because um, it is so hard to, to your point earlier, it's like so hard to get out of the habit of giving yeah, advice for and sure. suggestions. Um, his, his trick is he'll say, you know, when, when someone comes asking for advice, he'll say, I would love to help you and I'm happy to make a few suggestions. But before I do, um, I'd love to hear a few thoughts of what you think. And it's not that you aren't going to offer advice. It's just that you're not going to be the person who does it first. And so giving that person a chance to do some thinking about, and even if you ultimately end up being more directive and give advice, you've at least at, you've at least started to center the conversation around, I'm thinking about as an individual contributor or as whoever the person is, I'm starting to think about how I might approach this situation and to think about the strategy behind it. And you also, as leader, get a sense of like, where is this person at? Because sometimes... You let them go first and you hear something from them that you say, brilliant. Exactly. Go. Uh, like, you don't even need to hear my thing. Like, that's exactly what I was thinking. Go. Go forth and conquer. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the opposite's true. Sometimes you hear something, you're like, oh, they really, like, they don't have a starting point at all. Either of those outcomes is really helpful from a leadership standpoint. On one, it, like it guides you then on what you do next. Like, oh, do I really need to like, do we need to dive in on some of the details of this and really get into the weeds? Or is this person like, you know, maybe really competent on handling this, but they just don't yet have the confidence yet to move forward on it. And either way, you get a lot more information than on how you proceed and support them next. Yeah, it's a great point. I love that. I love that example. What was that guy's name again that gave that? I would love to help you. And I would be more than happy to give you some suggestions, but first I want to hear from you. That's all, that's very powerful. Uh, who who was that yeah. again? Who was that guy? I want to make sure he gives a proper Michael. Credit. Yeah, Michael Bungay Stanier, uh, author of the Coaching Habit and yeah. the Advice Trap. He I think echoes that in both books, but yeah. especially the Advice Trap. Oh, it's so true. And I'm just thinking about even personally in junior leadership roles in corporate America and everything else. Where I was that advice monster, you know, I felt like it was my job as this newly appointed leader to have all the answers and number one, give all the, because I've, they put me here for a reason, right? I've got enough leadership stink on me. I've obviously proven it. So 
boy, what a, and after a couple, you know, mistakes and rough roads and, and people feeling like they weren't being heard, you know, and this, and then when I started coaching individuals, you know, 10, 11 years ago, that was a big hurdle too, as a, as a young coach, uh, executive coach, I had to get comfortable early on with the fact that my personal experiences for the most part, really don't mean anything to this person's experience. So I, I fought that urge to give that advice. Now, to mm-hmm. your point, when you yeah. ask these great questions, like like you just said here, and you find out that, hey, maybe this person doesn't have a starting point. They are clearly lost a babe in the woods. Then maybe you can bring out your experience. Well, this is what I had a similar experience. This is what I did. And this is how it turned out for me. Now, I'm not suggesting that you do the same thing, but I just want to share with you, right? I mean, that's, that's how I... Yeah. I give it now, but I love the fact that let me hear from you first. Let me be totally present. Let me see. That's happened to me a couple of times where people have come to me and I've done similar things. I said, well, what do you think we should do? You know, how we should do that. I try to do that even with my kids today. Yeah. And, and, so, and, and I've been a handful of times I've been surprised. I'm like, oh man, you got this. You don't even, why'd you even come in here? You know? Yeah. And, I, yeah. and, and no, I've, and so I've been true. that guy too. I've been that guy with not the confidence and I had that great leader who just said, can't you see I'm swamped? What do you think you should do? Well, I think I want to do this, this, and this. I'm like, brilliant. Why are you here? Go, you know, get in my office, nerd. <laughs> Go make it happen. You know, that was just yeah. a great leadership learning moment, you know, to have to have those, those leaders that did that to me and building that confidence. Yeah, great stuff. It, it's interesting you bring up parenting. Um, parenting and leadership in organization is, of course, very different, but there are a couple of interesting parallels. And um, it just, just happened with my son last week. We had a situation that happened in the house where he had um, uh, he had done something that you know was just not the safest thing. Like, he's usually really safe and really responsible, but there was this one thing that happened that, you know, we're like, okay, how do we keep that from happening again so we don't, like, have a safety issue inside the house? And in the back of my mind, I was thinking, like, don't tell him. Yeah. Don't tell him. Yeah, right. <laughs> Have him tell you. Like, this Like the whole this whole conversation was in the back of my mind at that moment. And so I, like, just bit my tongue, and I said to him, I said, um, so, you know, we both, and he recognized right away, like, it was something that was unsafe. I'm like, okay, so what could you do in the future to keep this from happening again? And he thought about it for a minute, and he gave an answer that... Uh, was good. And I was like, cool. And that's where I should have stopped. <laughs> I should have said, <laughs> right. yeah. great. Yeah. But instead, you know, being the like person who wants to add a lot of value and be a good parent, I said, oh, that's good. Now let me tell you what I think you should do next time. Yeah, right. Which is where I went wrong. And so I went into this like two minutes of like, oh, here's how I think you should solve the problem. And it was so funny because he, he looked back at me and he said, yeah, thanks, dad. I think I'm going to go with my idea. I like my idea better. <laughs> well, good for him. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's great. It was a good reminder for me of like, the goal here is like not to get perfection. Right. The goal here is to get movement on any conversation like this and to have the person own it. I'd much rather have someone have a 75, 80% solution and have full ownership over it than to have a perfect solution and to say, well, that wasn't my idea anyway. Yeah, well, I did this because Dave told me to. Yeah. Yeah. And then, like, then it's not, there's no ownership there. No. And it's easy to point fingers. And speaking of conflict, it's easy then to, like, well, 
well, I, I, and I didn't want to do it that way, but that's the way the organization said I needed. That's such a great point. You're right. I mean, the goal isn't allegiance to orders or allegiance to even a plan. It's working an outcome. And that is a huge mindset. And too often I've seen that. That was my biggest bone of contention is that would, it was that mindset shift of like, we got to work the plan, work the plan, work the plan. And I was always like, no, let's work the outcome. Let's work the outcome. Let's work the outcome. And to your point, just like in the case of your example with your kid and whatever safety issue, safety violation you had in your household rules there, and the outcome was to make sure it didn't happen again and that he learned something from it, which you achieved with this first mm -hmm. thing, right? If you just said, no, don't do this, don't do that, yeah, because I said so. Maybe applicable for a one-year-old or a three-year-old, but not for a, you know, a teenager or a young adult, someone that's trying to exercise that brain, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, there's a time and a place for being directive. Yes. And I actually think like it's been, in the last couple of years in the pandemic, there, there have been times more often actually that I've heard of people in organizations like, I just want our leadership to be clear on like what we're doing next. I get that it may change two weeks from now, but like today, what are we doing? And, and not getting that clear direction. Um, and I think of places we even think of where we traditionally think of clear direction. The military is a great example. Your time in, in the Marine Corps, like, you know, giving orders and direction. Even there, though, like the thinking about the big picture, commander's intent, you know, mm -hmm. we talk about in, in military situations, right? So, yeah, there's 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 orders and there's specific situations, but let's make sure first and foremost, we're thinking about the big picture. Always. And sometimes that mm -hmm. means like we, we need to look at things differently today, tomorrow, as things go and have ownership over looking at the big picture versus getting caught up in the direction of the moment. Yeah, I love what you said. And it makes me think about how I'm a huge advocate for healthy conflict, for healthy challenging of that. And that's, and it seems to be, or what I've, where I've coached in the past or been inserted in organizations and help people work through, it's like, it's like avoidance of all conflict. And I'm like, no, it's, it's, it's avoidance of unnecessary conflict, conflict that just kind of promotes the kind of drama triangle that we were talking about. Yeah. We opened up this conversation about like, how do we have these, these difficult conversations? How can I go into a room with Dave and Dave's got an idea and I vehemently disagree with it. I want to have the comfortable, the ability to be comfortable with you to go, Dave, this is a dumb idea. And you're like, what do you mean it's dumb? And we can argue and maybe we even raise our voices. Maybe some, maybe some swear words get thrown out there. You know, but when we walk out, we walk out each other with this mutual respect. And, and, and if it's your idea that wins out, I carry it through like it's my own. That to me is, is what I'm always striving for. And to get to that kind of utopia moment for me would, is that you have to have this ability to, to have conflict, healthy conflict and, and, Yes. speak freely and disagree and challenge with respect. And it, it's all centered around leadership. I had a point there and I lost it because I was just, my mind was going a thousand miles an hour there thinking of situations. No, I but, think you said, you said something really key there. I mean, and just to highlight it, every, almost every organization I've ever worked with espouses the value of healthy conflict. Yes. Um, almost every leader I've ever talked to, you know, you walk in a meeting or, talk about values. Like we want healthy conflict. We want people to challenge each other. We recognize the importance of that theoretically. Not every organization, in fact, many do not do that in practice. Like 
then a conflict comes up in a meeting or a situation and you see a leader jumping in to be very decisive in that moment or to stop the conflict or to get nervous about it. And the like you said, the goal isn't to we're neither trying to like have conflict all the time or eliminate it entirely. The distinction is let's reduce the unnecessary conflict. Like yeah. we're not let's not have conflict for conflict's sake. Like that's not helpful in any situation yeah. or relationship. Like why would we aim for that? But also recognizing that it is part of the human experience in any context that we're going to have things that we don't have clear expectations on with each other and that we need to work through and to do that in a healthy way. And for me, that comes down to one of the principles around how do you reduce the, the unnecessary conflict is get really clear on expectations. Because yes. I think the root of almost every human conflict is unclear expectations. Absolutely, 100%. And, and so being able to start from a place of here as a team, how do we work together? How do we treat each other? Um, do we use profanity in our conversations or not? There's not a necessarily a right or wrong on that in every organization, but it's being intentional about like, how do we want to behave as an organization? And how do we agree that we connect with each other when we're having conflict? And that doesn't eliminate conflict, but it it provides a much easier path then when the conflict comes up and it's helpful to work through of how do we work with each other to get to a place where we're moving forward. Absolutely. I would agree. I was just thinking back a recent client that I, I have now, and that has been at the root of everything is this, is this unclear expectations. And I keep saying time and time mm -hmm. again, and hopefully they're listening to this episode and they'll, so they'll hear it again and they'll know it's like a broken record. It's like, that's the power of expectations, set expectations. And that makes things so much better. You know, I would rather yeah. you spend it instead of going to a meeting and rehashing what just happened and rehashing the past, let's set some expectations about what, what we plan to do now and in the future. Because when I have my bill of rights or whatever the case may be, that's the power of it, right? I can sit there and hold it up and go, hey, Dave, I know we said, you know, I saw, I know you did this, but ah, this is what. I thought the expectations were. How does that align with what we just said here, right? That that can be me as a, a, a contributor in the organization, or that's beneficial for me as a leader in the organization, having a difficult conversation with somebody. If I have those expectations and they're clear, to your point, good Lord, it solves a lot of problems, right? Or at least yeah. at least it gets the conversations going in the right direction. Yes, and to our earlier point on ownership, that I've had some role in creating those expectations and agreeing to them as a team member. Right. And if I have, I'm a lot more likely than when we get into a situation where someone has stepped outside of the expectations to, to either myself to, um, to go back to aligning to expectations or to recognize it as a team of how do we like use this as a stopping point and a learning point for each of us versus a, well, these weren't, this isn't, this is the organization's expectations. These aren't mine. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, in, it increases the accountability muscle or exercises the accountability muscle, which is so important to all of this. Yeah. If, if we both agree that this is what we're trying to do, but it's tied in. I keep going back just to rehash what we were talking about. The importance of tying this into this outcome-based mindset of always going, well, yes. what, where are we going? Which dragon are we actually trying to slay here? 
well, it should be the one that's sitting on the pot of gold. Okay, well, then avoid that dragon and that one. That's the unnecessary conflict, right? Let's just make sure we're all going towards this dragon that's sitting on the pot of gold. Right, guys? Everybody agree? Those are not that dragon, not that one. This one, right? That's the leader's role, yeah. right, to me, is to just remind people that this is where we're going and why we're heading this way. And it's interesting how we all lose focus on that when, when they're in the, in the middle of emotion or conflict drama, yeah. or difficult situation. Sure. All of us. It's interesting to me how often we get our members together in our academy sessions, Richard, and the question comes up pretty early in a problem situation of like, what's the outcome that you want for your team or your organization in this? And uh, I wouldn't say it always happens, but a lot of the time, like just stepping back and thinking about that all of a sudden starts to reset the, okay, let me get really conscious about what, what the big picture is here. And then it starts to illuminate what the tactical step is next yes. to get there. Gets you the next and, baby step. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's huge of being able to, to take that big picture perspective on it. And that is the power of having the big picture and the outcome mindset. Without it, you don't know which baby step to take. I think a lot of times people think it's about taking this large leap. The reality is the outcome where you're at at the moment and where the outcome is, it seems like an impo- nine times out of 10, it, it should anyway, seem like, wow, this is, I don't know how we're going to get there. It should be an audacious goal in a sense. Yeah. And realizing that you don't have to have all those steps. You just need to have the next right baby step. Again, having the outcome, knowing the clear expectations of where they're at, that leads you to the, you can't do a baby step without those things. That's, that's, oh, yeah. you know what I mean? The other, I guess you, they would be baby steps, but they're going in the wrong, they're just kind of aimless. But if you have the outcome, you have the expectations, well, I know that's where we want to go. The next best thing is to do this. And that's always forward looking too. I guess a lot of times what I've heard you say is that let's stop. What I see where we're kind of staying in the drama is we keep rehashing what has just happened. Like, oh my God, the wheels just fell off the wagon here. And if it wasn't for Dave and Steve and what, you know, okay, maybe, but what are we going to do right now? Let's get the wheels back on the wagon, right? Don't yeah. be a time and place yeah. to talk about why these fell off. Maybe, you know, yeah. right? It's, it's, Absolutely. And I think about, I mean, your experience as a pilot, I mean, how important this is. Of oh, it's key. Knowing where the destination is. And then knowing the waypoints along the way, and you have a plan, you file the flight plan every time you get up in the air. Mm-hmm. And I suspect that almost every single time that plan changes at least a little bit, either on departure or every along single the way time. or hundred percent, yeah, weather turbulence, yeah. right? So the key is, is like first and foremost from a leadership standpoint, you know the destination, and then if you know the destination as weather, traffic, whatever happens along the way, the waypoints can change. But each individual waypoint is ultimately leading you towards the destination. So if you're clear on both, both the destination and the next step, then then it's then it's about execution and tactics. Yeah. Um, but without clarity on those two, you're going wherever, right? Yeah, Which right. is fine if you want to go wherever. But most organizations have a pretty clear, like, we need to accomplish this. Well, that example you gave is 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 a a great one because then it points to the folly of kind of celebrating me having that flight plan with, you know, a hundred waypoints to get from here to Paris. 
it would be folly to celebrate, you know, every waypoint or, you know, to, to determine the success of the mission based on hitting each one of those hundred waypoints based on what the plan said. That's not the point. And too often, Mm -hmm. that's what you see organizations doing. They get so wrapped up in the axle about hitting each one of those waypoints, celebrating those KPIs when they hit it. Look, I'm on time or I'm ahead of schedule. I I have extra fuel. That's great. I need to know that. But I'm not celebrating it when I cross, you know, Poughkeepsie, New York on step 67 out of 100. I'm not celebrating that. I'm just knowing, am I, how am I doing on my outcome? And then, oh, wait, we've got to divert now because of whatever. Or yeah. go to a different route. How are we doing? Can we still do it? Oh, yeah. Because the outcome's still there. Yeah. yeah. And, but that's Indeed. what businesses do. They, they're, they're focused on those individual milestones as opposed to the outcome. That's, that's the difference, like I said earlier, from working the plan or working the outcome. The outcome is to get to Paris, you know, in the same configuration with the same amount of live bodies as when I left Dallas, right? It's pretty clear cut. Exactly. Exactly. And almost nobody cares which waypoints you hit except you and your fellow pilot. Everyone else is like, we need to get to Paris safely, first of all. And secondly, a close second would be on time if we can. Um, That's the outcome that everyone wants. And that's what all the stakeholders are going to care about. That's it. And that's how we need to look at and that's kind of bringing that back to what we were talking about, the power of, of knowing what that outcome is as opposed to being a slave to the process or to the KPI or to whatever, you know, or to the individual milestones. Yeah. No, that's good stuff. Well, one thing I heard you say is like slowing things down and kind of keeping it with what you were saying reminds us, how do we do this? I know um, you were saying about, well, I know what I was going to say, but you said it as an aviator having to do that, like kind of reminding of, of not not focusing on what happened in the past and always looking forward. That was a huge hurdle for me early on in flights. I had to learn that because I wanted to have the perfect flight when I was in flight school and training. And sure. Say I'd messed something up coming out of the, like taxing out of the chalks and I'd screw it up and, and I'd be thinking about that. And while I was thinking about that, I'd screw up the next thing and then I'd screw up the next thing. And then finally the instructor landed and he said, you've got to learn how to, when that happened, it happened. You still, you know, you're moving through time and space. You need to focus on the next thing that's coming forward. Yeah. And, and, and I'm sure you experienced this in, in flight school of there's, there's value outside of the moment of sometimes going back and looking at like, okay, what led me to made the decision that you know Absolutely. I made an error or made a mistake. Um, but in the moment, it it's, it's really hard to process both things at once. I, I love the um, invitation that Marshall Goldsmith often makes in his coaching of feed forward of mm. rather than like when trying to get input from someone else on a suggestion of like, how do I do better as a leader, as an individual contributor, whatever the situation is of rather than looking backwards and saying, okay, um, you know, if you, if you could give me some feedback on the last meeting or the last um uh, you know, uh, performance review or the last customer interaction and tell me what I could have done better. Y- y- you run the risk of like rehashing the past a bunch. Yeah. And the the distinction he makes, and, and I love this invitation is um, when you ask for feedback, ask for in the future. 
So the the way that sounds is something more like, um, you know, I'd like to get better at handling a tough customer situation. What's one suggestion you'd have for me in the next meeting that I could do that a bit better? And then it's forward-looking versus getting back into rehashing the past. So it it's proactive, it's moving forward, it's getting toward the destination versus spending a lot of time bringing up old conflict and trauma. I like that. Well, even thinking about from an aviation standpoint, that's the post, the value in the postmortem or the debrief, right? That's what we do in the debrief. I did this, I missed this call, I did that. What do you think we should do? You know, how do you think we should, well, next time let's do this, you know? Yeah, that's good stuff. And we've covered a lot of ground here. We did. I think for me, it's like we've always, as leaders, we always, I'm listening and rehashing our conversation here. We got to make sure that we're always fighting for the big picture, which is huge, right? You know, you said early on about kind of fighting for the, the, the nobler cause or the, the, the nobler motive in conversations. What does that mean to you? Again, I just want to make sure I got that clear as we kind of wrap up. Uh, what is that? This is a principle from Dale Carnegie. I was a Dale Carnegie instructor for many years and worked with the Carnegie organization. And one of his principles in How to Win Friends and Influence People, that that timeless book, is appealing to the nobler motive. Yeah. And the the, the way that that sounds is, um, is it's what we've been talking about all along in this conversation is like, what's the big picture? Why are we all here? Yeah. So... An example of if I work in a manufacturing plant and I'm running a team, a team, an example of something that is probably not the nobler motive is to only be having conversations about the KPIs today and the waypoints and all the things you and I were talking about a bit ago. And like, how are we doing on um, on um, on this metric today? And all of that is important. Like it, it's important in the context of the daily work, but it misses the bigger picture. And one of the things I had the privilege to do at Carnegie, speaking of airplanes, is I would I would I got to uh, work and coach some of the folks who made fighter jets here in Southern California, oh, cool. um, at the F thirty five and the F eighteen, and they uh, they had this beautiful beautiful display above the production line when you'd walk in, and it said, "Build it like you would fly it," mm. and the leaders in that organization who were really amazing at doing this. Yes, they would have all of the daily KPIs and how we doing and metrics and all those things, but they would also have the build it like you would fly it, the nobler motive behind everything. And everyone could get behind that. Yeah. Not everyone would always be behind like, okay, we're doing this today, or, you know, we're going to do this to get our 3% annual, whatever recognition. Um, you know, there may be some, some, some differences there, but everyone could get behind the build it like we, you're going to fly it. That was a noble motive and espoused value throughout the organization. And not only espoused value, a lived value. And, and because they were so good at appealing to that nobler motive, they ended up doing the operational stuff way better because people had ownership over it. And yeah. I think the, the invitation for me and for all of us is, um, are we doing a good enough job of espousing the nobler motive. So when we, we're in the middle of a tough situation with a customer or a stakeholder or a peer or a partner organization, can we walk into that conversation or situation and say, hey, I know this is what we all want out of this. We all want this situation to be resolved. We all want to take care of this customer. 
we all want to, whatever the situation of the day is, framing the nobler motive first, then getting into the tactics and the stuff like you want to draw. But that way you get, you create an environment where like, we're all in this together. We're on the same team. We're all, we all have this outcome that we want. Now let's frame what are we going to do in order to get there? And if you come into a conversation with that nobler motive, what a great place to begin and so much easier than if you just come in of who's angry at who. I love that. Again, feeding into this outcome-based mindset, again, that we've been talking about in this whole conversation, that's the power behind that. I mean, that feeds into this outcome-based mindset. What are we trying to accomplish here? What is it is? Hopefully, if it's, and if it's noble, if we can get our arms wrapped around it, wow, it's so powerful. Mm. That can help us avoid inviting conflict. It can help us to get out of that drama triangle that we're talking about. Again, taking the pause, slowing things down. And back to the earlier point, if the leader doesn't do that, it's very unlikely anyone else in the conversation is going to rise up and say, let's think about this from the bigger picture, nobler motive. Not going to happen. Occasionally, someone brave will say that. But it's really the job of the leader to say that out loud. And that's like, that's so key because yes, everyone knows it. Yes, everyone knows like, okay, we want to do these bigger picture things. But there's something about saying it out loud yeah. in the moment, in the conversation of framing it when you getting everyone together um, that just creates an environment of we're all in this together. Let's work toward the outcome we know is good for everyone in this situation. And where do we start? Love it. I think that's a great place to end it, Dave. Coming up on an hour. Did we talk about everything that we wanted to? Did we get, did we hit all the points that we wanted to? No, but there was no chance we were ever going to do that. <laughs> Dude. And back to the flight plan example, like, you know, the be- you create a plan and you never really perfectly follow it. Yeah. But if you didn't create the plan in the first place, you wouldn't have anywhere to start from, yeah. right? But I feel like we added some value here. This, I, I mean, I, I feel like I'm better because I had the conversation with you. Oh, well, thank you. I feel the same way. You reminded me of so many of these principles. Oh, and likewise. It is... Well, it's one thing to know them. It's an entirely different thing to do them in practice. So it's reminding me of how much I need to do this in practice <laughs> with everything else happening today. Well, that's the power of doing this podcast, right? I think everybody else thinks we podcast because we're trying to build a business and provide for our family. But in reality, we're just trying to become better human beings. And this podcast helps me probably better than it helps my audience, I think, sometimes because I get to talk to you face to people like you face to face all the time. You, you, you know that. So thanks for coming. I, I have the same feeling. Uh, you've you've taught me a bunch. You're going to be on uh, on our show soon and we'll teach us, us a bunch. And this is so much for all of us about how do we learn? What's next? How do I how do I be a little bit better tomorrow than I was yesterday? And if we're doing that consistently, that's great for all of us. Yeah. Guys, if you're not subscribed to Dave's Coaching for Leaders podcast, you're doing yourself a huge disservice. Go out and subscribe to his show right now. Leave a rating and review for him on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever, whatever podcast application you're following him on. Um, great stuff, Dave. I'm honored to know you and call you a friend, and I'm so happy you came on the show. How how else can people reach out to you? Thank you for the kind words. Uh, the everything's at coachingforleaders.com if folks want to find out more. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Richard. What a pleasure. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show. I hope you got some value out of this episode. If you did, please do me a huge favor. Tell somebody about this show. Tell your spouse, tell your kids, tell your coworkers. Let them know about the value that those leadership brings to your world. 
Go to DoseOfLeadership.com. You can learn more about my services. If you're looking for somebody to speak, teach, or coach about leadership, I'm your guy. I'm known for my ability to transform individuals and organizations, teaching them the concept of creating a culture of decentralized leadership. I do think that is the secret sauce to facing all the challenges that we face today. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I look forward to the next time we're together. And until the meantime, make it a great one.